Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. So I find it really hard to sit in front of a computer lately because I'm distracted by spring. There are the early bloomers, like snowdrops and hellebores, to the magical palette ornamental trees display this time of year, trees like magnolias and dogwoods. Now, I'm in northern Connecticut, and my rhododendrons are just starting to pop. How about yours? You can share pictures of your garden. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Today, horticulturist and renowned garden writer Tova Martin joins us to answer your gardening questions. She's the author of several books, including The Garden in Every Sense and Season, where she reminds gardeners to take time to enjoy the spaces you work so hard to create, the colors, the smells, even the tastes of its bounty. You can join us with your gardening questions. Here's the number, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Tova Martin joins us on Zoom. She lives in Litchfield County, Connecticut. Tova, welcome to our show. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, you've written many books, and I know when I picked up uh, your book, uh, Tasha Tudor's uh, Garden, I was inspired uh, by the, the cottage garden. And so uh, it's uh, really um, a treat to have you on, uh, Tova, with all of your knowledge and talents as well. Uh, we wanted to focus on this book, The Garden Every Sense and Season, which I believe came out before the pandemic. But tell us... Um, you know, it, this is something that's very fitting when we think about all the time many people have spent at home in their gardens over the last two years. But prior to that, what made you think about writing this book? Well, you know, it was one of those wonderful moments when a friend came over and I have a front porch. Not that many people have front porches, but I do. And I had some rockers on the front porch and he looked at me and he said, Tova, how often do you actually sit in those rockers and enjoy your garden? Because my garden is goes from the front of the house. One of my gardens goes from the front of the house to the street. And he said, how often do you sit and really enjoy the garden? And I said, I admit that I rarely do. Um, and so that started a whole spate of sitting and really enjoying the garden. I really think that as gardeners, we think so often about all the work, you know, what we have to do in our gardens, and we forget to really enjoy them. So it started a little, a little spate of sitting and uh, every day saying, this is the day I think about sight. This is the day I think about what the garden smells like. This is the day I go out and I touch the garden. 
In your book, The Garden in Every Sense and Season, there's a picture of that porch that you just, just described and uh, the beautiful plants uh, that lined uh, that grass uh, walkway. So when you're sitting on the porch, what are some of the plants that draw your attention, Tova? Can you describe that front, that garden to our listeners? That's easy because it's right out from my the room here, my office. So right now I've got these wonderful vintage bubblegum smelling iris that are blooming away. And then real near them is a, a, a creeping phlox. And that I just watched a chipmunk pull a flower down and kind of stare it in the face and then chatter at it and then go scampering off. And that just happened three minutes ago. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned the smell of the iris. You know, I was surprised uh, a few years ago when I was starting to plant a lot more bulbs where we live now. The beautiful smells that come from the daffodils, uh, Tova. I wonder if you can talk about um, the bulbs that um, can really um, ignite our sense of smell. See, that was one of the things that I discovered in this process that you Plants like narcissus, daffodils, they have different smells at different times of day. And you really, not only do you need to smell your garden, but you need to smell it morning, noon, at night. It is different in every, at every time slot. And there are some daffodils that are extremely fragrant in the evening, but have virtually no scent at all in the morning. And so going around and sampling these things is part of the of really of, of the honor and the privilege of being a gardener. You can join us. What are you smelling in your garden this spring? What are you thinking about planting? Do you take time to enjoy the space that you've created? The number 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I mentioned that Tova is a horticulturist, a renowned garden writer. She's here to take your questions about the garden as well. Uh, we talked a little bit about that one garden from your office space uh, where your porch is. You call your garden furthermore tell us about that name well it you know, i guess i'm a compulsive gardener and i it just keeps growing and growing and growing i you know it really knows no bounds and i keep adding gardens right now i'm, I'm adding this a, a long border along my uh between the property lines with my wonderful wonderful neighbors and i decided that I really wanted to give them a garden that they could, that would be our garden together, that they would be, they could look at from their side and I'd look at from my side and we'd all enjoy. So I know my neighbors pretty well. So I thought about the colors that I was going to put in it and the scents and that sort of thing. So there's always more to do and more gardening to be done. Uh, I know a lot of gardeners uh, think about, okay, what's the next space uh, that we can fill? <laughs> and as you write in your book, you know, not getting so caught up in the to-do list. So right now thinking about what's to prune, all the weeding, what about mulching, uh, but taking time to enjoy. Was that difficult for you to make that change? You mentioned that, um, that you were always a frenetic gardener. You are so right. You know, 
you keep slipping back into that, especially this time of year when it's like a relay race and you keep slipping back into, oh my goodness, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to spray this for, for deer. I've got to uh, weed that. And you forget that it's really the experience and you can gain so much from your garden and it, it, it keeps on moving on from there. It's not only what you gain, you gain an understanding of the larger ecosystem by doing those things and then watching and seeing how critters and insects, how they react to it. You know, we're talking with you uh, just a, a day before a scorcher of a, a weekend is expected in May with temperatures high 90s, Tova. So as a gardener, you know, you have to be in tune uh, with uh, the cycles around you. And I'm wondering if you can talk about how you've noticed spring changing where you live. Uh, it, it, it is yikes about the heat wave, but every spring is different. And that's really part of the, uh, another one of the privileges of, of being a gardener is watching how it unfolds differently each year and different, different flowers, different plants. They synchronize di differently every single year so that you get something in bloom coinciding with something else. It's really kind of thrilling. Right now we've got the magnolias are all finished, but we've, oh gosh, the alliums are happening and um, kind of as an explosion of little balloons is what it looks like out there right now. And they are coinciding with the wonderful, wonderful columbines and the hummingbirds are coming back so the columbines blooming and the hummingbirds returning is in this wonderful synchronization. And you watch the hummingbirds sort of flying around, flittering around, discovering your garden. And you feel so proud to have hosted that banquet. You're hearing Tova Martin here on Where We Live, a horticulturist and garden writer. We're focusing on her book, The Garden in Every Sense and Season. And she's here to take your garden questions to 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I'm glad you mentioned columbines because oftentimes you'll see in, in nurseries all these different varieties of columbines. And then just a, a couple years ago, I discovered the native uh, columbine. I think you have that in, in your your garden in front of your porch. Can you describe that particular variety? Yes, you know, it's different. It looks like it, it looks like, I, I think it looks like it's got little jet engines. It, it's uh, the, the, um, the flower has these little spurs that come out straight from the, from the blossom. And it's a really otherworldly looking flower. And when you look at it closely, which I'm hoping you will, you really, it, it, it's, it's a feat of nature. It's, it's really a different looking flower. And whereas the ones that are not native have little curly spurs on the back. So uh, you, you sort of look at the flower and tell whether it's come from this country or abroad. And it's, that's part of the wonderful panoply of, of, of gardening. And the, the native columbine is almost like a, 
uh, a blush, uh, like a, a red, um, and it's like almost like an upside down flower that I thought was so beautiful when you have a bunch of them planted next to the ch- each other, Tova, the way they move in the wind. They do. And then how the hummingbird manages to access that is really fun to watch too. And it, him sort of flickering around, figuring out how to get, get there. And, and it's, it's really part of the, of the adventure. And I personally, I think the seeds pods are adorable. You know, they really are. <laughs> Even the, the, um, the leaves on the stem, almost like a, a four leaf clover, the way they're shaped, Tova. And they pick up the little dewdrops. Mm-hmm. That's really fun to watch to, to see too, because they the dewdrops stay as little little balls on those, and uh, and they shimmer, and when the light when the sun comes out again, so it's it's a very beautiful thing to watch. I'd love to hear some of your recommendations of particular plants that our listeners may like to um, try uh, this spring. I want to take a call right now. You can join us too, 888-720-9677 as we talk with horticulturist and garden writer Tova Martin. Christopher and Bolton, go ahead, Christopher, you're on the show. Hi, Lucy. First of all, thank you very much for taking my question. Um, I was wondering, how can I keep my tulip bulbs safe? from the squirrels. I've tried planting them in the past and they always end up digging up my tulips. <laughs> Good question, those naughty rodents. Go ahead, Tova. <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to share a trick that I learned from Tasha Tudor, the legendary gardener uh, since passed away, but she had so much knowledge and I did a book with her and she had what she called bulb insurance. And that is that when she put in the bulbs, she actually sandwiched the bulbs between crushed oyster shells, which is actually just chicken grit that you can buy at a feed store. And so what I do is I sort of lay some chicken grit below the bulb, and then I put the bulb in and I, I put chicken grit on top of it and then fill in, this, fill in with soil and it's it really does the trick. They they don't seem to want to ruin the squirrels. Don't seem to want to ruin their little pedicures. And I'm wondering, does it help also to maybe put some bulbs that squirrels don't like uh, the taste of, like daffodils, around the tulips? Does that help deter them at all? That should help. Uh, uh, we, we I've tried it um, with mixed results. But it's worth it's definitely worth a try. And yes, the the squirrels do not pester narcissus bulbs. Thank you, Christopher, for your question. When we think about um, some of uh, the um, garden nurseries and places to purchase bulbs from, I was thinking about color blends in Bridgeport that always has beautiful uh, selection uh, since Christopher mentioned tulips, Tova. Yes, and they do. What Color Blends does is they combine tulips of different colors into a blend and they all bloom simultaneously in whatever palette you've chosen. And it's like, it's, it's hard to explain, but it, it feels like a show. It really feels like you're, you're watching a, a, a Broadway play or something 
in your own garden and you it, it's extremely beautiful it's sort of like stop the car material uh people really sort of slow down when they drive by speaking of of daffodils uh, Catherine in mansfield has a question go ahead Catherine. hi um i have two white narcissus which i call my purloined pastoral posies because <laughs> they grew behind a pastorage um parsonage and uh, the minister showed me this huge clump of narcissus and said, you know, take some, take a few, there's a billion here. So I took them. And when I moved to Mansfield from Stafford, I planted them in my garden, and I think this is like the first time they've come up in 25 years. Not that they haven't come up, first time they've bloomed. So I want to know if there's anything I can do to make them bloom more often. Well, that's interesting. Do you have them in good Good, good light because that's the critical. That's the critical issue. Oh, they probably are in partial shade. Mm. Uh, people don't really think about that with bulbs, but mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. but they do need they do need good light to uh, really perform their best. So I I believe me, I know how hard it is to dig up daffodils because their roots plunge down, but uh, you might. You might want to give them an, another space or just dig up a few maybe from your legacy and transplant them. I could try that. Usually they come up and there's a little bud, but it's brown and empty. You know what I mean? You can pop it. There's no, yeah. no flower in there. <laughs> yeah, try giving them, try replanting them again, um, giving mm-hmm. them soil also with good drainage. Uh, you might have too mucky of an area. I don't think so, but maybe I could, I could check, try to check mm-hmm. that out. Well, thank you. I'm thank you. And dividing them should also help uh, put strength into the bulbs. They might be too crowded. Thank you, Catherine, for your call. Again, if you have a gardening question, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. When we talk about moving bulbs, Tova, is the best time to do that in the fall? Yes, yeah, when you would normally be planting bulbs. But, uh, you know, I always say that bulbs are so inexpensive that if you can possibly, you know, rather than, if you're moving or something like that, just buy new bulbs and leave what you got again as a legacy. Before I take another call, because we're talking about bulbs, are there a particular type of, of daffodil or another bulb that you would recommend to our listeners to try? I have great success with the Brackenhurst daffodil. It's beautiful yellow with orange in the middle and smells just lovely. It, it Brackenhurst is gorgeous. My personal favorite is uh, Thalia, and that's a late-blooming white. And I love it because it often coincides with my early um, alliums, my uh, big white alliums, Mount Everest. So uh, you get that white and white echo. It's so much fun to do echoes. It really is. That's part part of the sight thing I learned with this whole project. I want to get into some colors of the palettes in our gardens, but let's take a, a call first from Connie in Southern Connecticut. Connie, what's your question for Tova Martin? 
Good morning. My question, my question is, um, if you have any tips on cultivating wild woodland flowers, because um, I like to incorporate them into my garden as well. I have um, wild asters and a yellow flowering plant that grows maybe 30 inches tall, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Tova? Yes, you know, I'm... I, and many of these plants have become cultivated, like the woodland flocks and that sort of thing that uh, that have become so popular because they do perform really magnificently well. Like one of my favorite flowers is the woodland the woodland flocks that it just it doesn't need a whole lot of light. It blooms over a long period of time, so you've got to love that. And um, one plant that I've gotten in my garden that is really maybe a little bit too successful is the origeron. Uh, I think the common name of that is fleabane, but it, it blooms and blooms and blooms and the pollinators love it. So there's that. And any number of iris do, I mean, I'm not iris, I'm, I meant violets do great in your garden. So they kind of scamper around and make all kinds of little critters happy. Think not only uh, the you know, pollinators, but they also please the little ants that collect the seeds and that sort of thing. So you're doing a whole lot of benefit by really hosting those plants. Again, my guest today is Tova Martin, a horticulturist and renowned garden writer. She lives in Connecticut, and we're talking about her book, A Garden in Every Sense and Season, as well as hearing her answer your gardening questions. Here's the number, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go Team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. 
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nopithanchel. My guest today is Tova Martin, horticulturist and renowned garden writer. She lives in Connecticut, and we're talking about her book. She's written several of them. The one we're focusing on is A Garden in Every Sense and Season, where she reminds us to not harp on all the garden to-dos. Instead, take time to enjoy your garden through the five senses. She's here to answer your garden questions, too, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Now, uh, Tova, I was chuckling uh, reading um, the section in your book related to spring where you describe having an open-minded color policy. How should people approach color in their garden? You know, I think it evolves. It, just like our our loves of music change as we get older and, and, and evolve. And you begin to think differently. Uh, at least I did. Uh, originally, I was sort of like a pastel person. And then I began to like more fervent colors. And, you know, the, at, at one point, people were sort of uh, really poo-pooing oranges and yellows. And I don't know where my garden would, would be without orange and yellow. And when you think about yellow, for example, yellow is uh, uh, the often is used as, uh, in flowers that, that the center of the flower is yellow and serve as a pollen guide to pollinators. So that's like a common denominator between many different flowers. So once you start looking and you start balancing with your eye these colors and you begin to become more open-minded about color and maybe maybe a little more daring about color too, about trying different colors. A friend of mine once said, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, just do it with conviction. I love that. I was The reason I was chuckling when I read that part of the book is, you know, I love yellow, especially after a long, dark winter. That's what I want to see popping in my yard, whether it's the, the daffodils or if it's the spirea, if I'm saying that correctly, the Japanese maples blooming right now, uh, leafing out in my yard. Uh, this is just the way it, it um, the contrast between that and, and the green tova. Right. And for Scythia's, and those are colors that maybe we would think of as too fervent later in the season. But in spring, in spring, they are just what we need, really. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I wanted to take a call from Susan in Madison. Susan, what's your question for Tova Martin? Susan, can you hear us? Oh, okay. It doesn't look like Susan can hear us right now. But Barbara in Wallingford, are you there, Barbara? Yes, I am. Go ahead with your I question. Am. Are you? Um, I have. Oh, you were just speaking of yellow. I have beautiful yellow Rebecca. It was a perennial given to me by um, a colleague back in the late seventies, nineteen seventy. And they're they grow very tall. Um, they have the perfusion of just daisy like blossoms that last a good half of the the, the, the uh, summer and you know they're they're they've, they've been a part of my garden basically since I moved to this particular location and the last few years they've been invaded by these red aphids and I have tried all kinds I, I do not want to use any poisons 
So I've tried all kinds of, you know, homemade methods with those soap, uh, soap suds and, you know, those, those, those things are supposed to be effective and, you know, spraying them with just water and I've used neem and nothing seems to help. And they survive, but um, it's just off to see these beautiful plants, you know, invaded by these horrible aphids. So I was wondering if you had any magic, uh, <laughs> magic potent to help me. I don't, you know, and I haven't really heard of aphids on Rudbecky. Are, are they the little black aphids? I think she said they were the little red ones. I've actually red seen aphids. those. On. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, you know, I, I have the, the actually get the problem sometimes, um, but not, I've never had it on Rudbeckia to tell you the truth. So um, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, and I don't have any organic control that I know of. I would have, you know, recommended some of the things that you recommend that you've tried and failed with. So I, I wish I could give you a, a, stop that measure answer but i don't i've, I've had those on uh, i believe a yellow uh, rudbeckia in our uh, yard just the other year tova and i'm wondering if you if you just blast them off with water did they come back well it's certainly worth a try you're, you're definitely uh disturbing housekeeping <laughs> by doing that so uh and it certainly can't hurt so uh you could you could pray for a huge thunderstorm like the one we had just a few days ago, uh, but besides that, um, or, or try certainly certainly try a blast of water. I think she said she did try that though. Mm. Again, you can join us 888-720-9677 as we talk with Tova Martin, a horticulturist, uh, garden writer, and the book that we're focusing on is The Garden in Every Sense and Season. So we've talked about color. I wanted to maybe talk more about smell. Um, we mentioned a little bit about how some bulbs just smell so lovely depending on the time of day. And when we think about some of the shrubs that we could be planting uh, that we wouldn't maybe be enjoying next spring, Tova, um, based on smell, what can you tell us? Well, I think right now we often think about lilacs, don't we? Mm -hmm. it, uh, how could you not? It, they are these, that scent is, I call it a ventriloquist of scents. It, it throws its, its scent around and you know, don't try this at home, but you could, I could walk around my street blindfolded and I would know where I was because of the different lilacs, neighboring lilacs emitting their wonderful scents. So lilac is, is a, a old fashioned shrub that is just wonderful. And then there's the early viburnums and their wonderful, wonderful scent. Um, it's sort of a little bit musky and uh, almost like per heavy perfume. So there's that. And, and then there's, you know, you, you can grow all kinds of jasmines and things like that as potted plants, which is very, very fulfilling. So there's, you know, scent is something you should think of. The, the old fashioned mock orange and you really have to be careful because some of the new varieties have bred out fragrance. So you want to be sure to get some of the fragrant varieties. Roses 
are a, a case in point that they they're begin they're now beginning to think more about breeding fragrance in. So I just tell people if you want something like a trait in a flower, mention it always to your nurseries and say, do you have any fragrant roses? And that will sort of trick and trickle down to suppliers and breeders, and they'll realize that that's an important trait that you you want as a consumer. Mm-hmm. Definitely, especially some of the roses just smell so beautiful. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, if you have a garden question for Tova Martin. This was the first year that I, I asked for the David Austin rose catalog, Tova. And so tell me why these roses are just um, so magnificent and why you, you include them in your garden. Oh, the David Austin roses, the scents are just, exquisite. And again, uh, the Michael Marriott at Austin Roses, he was explaining to me uh, that roses also have that trait of smelling differently at different times of day. So I did try sampling them at different times of day. And sure enough, they had they the scents vary. So you can really triple or, or even more so your experience that way. And you know, the, I always suggest that people, especially in Connecticut, uh, might think of growing what they call own root roses, which are roses grown on their own root system. So they're not grafted. And personally, I find that they have a much higher rate of, of success in our region. I'm actually zone five Connecticut. So it's that's an interesting a way of, of getting around, of, of being sure that your roses are going to survive the winters here. I um, remember falling in love with the smell of those roses at the beach. And so I bought the the shrub uh, just a couple of years ago. And it's it's becoming massive, Tova. But man, the smell, you just can't beat it. Yeah. Are those the rugosa roses? Yes. Yes. Beautiful. Hey, fuchsia colored. You know, I have some roses rugosa roses around my barn the goat barn and i always when they start blooming i think i i think this is the garden i always wanted it's just such a wonderful experience uh, before I uh, take another call, you can join us, 888-720-9677. I have to mention, uh, Barbara uh, tweeted a beautiful picture of her poppies. And I have poppy envy in terms of when I try to plant them, when I buy the plant from the nursery, versus I've never actually tried seeding them. What's the trick, Tova? Oh, I'm so glad you asked me that because I love to share this trick. This is another Tasha Tudor a mentored trick that she taught me. It's what I call the poppy toss, poppy seed toss. And what you do is you go out in the very, what you hope is going to be the last snow of the year. And you throw your poppy seeds on top of the snow. Now, the thing about poppy seeds is they like it cold and they like it damp and they like to um, be on the surface of the soil. They don't want to be buried. So what you're doing when you're throwing your poppy seeds on top of the late snow is they're, they're thawing down 
and the thaw is then delivering them to the top of the soil and it's cold and it's damp and it's perfect for poppy seeds. All right, I'm going to try that. <laughs> but do I have try to worry the poppy about... Right. Do I have to worry about uh, little birds or, you know, I have lots of voles around uh, my uh, my uh, property, Tova. Will they be munching on them? Well, uh, if you've ever seen poppy seeds, the, the, the ones, very most of the ones I've seen are just so microscopic and they there's so many in a packet that um, you can share a little bit. Okay. Toba Martin, again, is my guest as we talk about the garden in every sense and season, the title of one of her many books. We're going to take a short break. We'll take your calls right after. Here's the number, Support comes from Walden Low. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. What gardening questions do you have? Toba Martin is here to answer them. She's a horticulturist and author of several books, including The Garden in Every Sense and Season. Here's our number, 888-720-9677. Leslie in Glastonbury, what's your question for Toba? Oh, hello, it's Leslie in Glastonbury. My question concerns groundhogs. We've just planted lettuces and cucumbers, which have now just been eaten by a groundhog. And we're wondering, will sprinkling them with red cayenne pepper help? Or what else can we do? Please help. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Leslie. Tova? I wish I had the secret ingredient for deterring groundhogs. I really do. But uh, I don't. And, you know, it, 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 you can certainly try uh, seasoning them with uh, hot pepper. But uh, I don't, I wish I had an answer to that, um, that, that problem because I don't. Uh, nothing more frustrating is when you're when you're planting something and then you go out to the garden and it's disappeared. That happened to us this um, spring, early spring. We always plant our peas around St. Patty's Day, Tova, and a little vole got into our garden and all of our <laughs> pea shoots have disappeared. The good thing, though, for Leslie is um, if she can keep uh, planting lettuce because it can keep growing through the season. Yes, uh, she can keep planting lettuce. And I've, I've actually love lettuce personally so i've sort of made a little bit of a mission of finding lettuces that don't bolt that tolerate the heat the best one the real major winner of that is something called slow bolt and it uh, is a, a lettuce that really keeps on producing but if you sort of give up on lettuce you could do uh uh, something, a, a wonderful vegetable that I recently discovered is called perpetual spinach. And it keeps, it's in the, actually in the Swiss charge family, and it just keeps on producing and producing and producing, which is wonderful. It's actually uh, something that I cook, but um, so it's not like lettuce in that way. But I have to tell you the name of one of my favorite 
hot weather lettuces, and that's called drunken woman frizz, frizzy headed. Mm. Thank you for that that suggestion. Um, when we think about spring vegetables, I believe asparagus, is that uh, almost done in terms of, of when the, the peak spears are ready to, to harvest, Tova? Mine is, it, it's waning a little bit, but I am still, I'm, I'm still harvesting. And Lucy, that taste, that fresh, it's so different than what you buy in the supermarket, it's it's so fresh and crisp, and you can just nibble it. Uh, it it's just delicious, for, and and a whole different experience. And that's again something you get as a gardener. Your fresh produce will taste so different than anything in the supermarket. But it you know you can also buy local at farmers markets. Mm. And what is the rule when you plant asparagus? How long do you have to wait before you can harvest Tova? Well, uh, I think it's usually considered about three years. Uh, my rule is that it, the sprigs should be about the size of a pencil for you to be able to harvest them. Good to know. Um, are there particular tomato varieties that people should be putting in their gardens in the next couple of weeks, Tova? Well, I'm not a tomato expert because um, I'm slightly allergic, meaning um, oh, no. that my mouth all dries out when I've eaten a tomato and I my skin peels off around my mouth. And so, uh, but, you know, there's all kinds of wonderful tomatoes out there and there's great heirlooms that are really readily available nowadays that you can try and the heirloom tomatoes are just dangerously, scrumptiously delicious. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, as we talk about gardening with horticulturist Tova Martin. Um, in your book, we you go through the seasons, you go through the five senses, and you also talk about avoiding injury in the garden. Can you share with our listeners some of your tips? Yes. Uh, I think most importantly is really sort of mixing up your chores, doing, doing things, not just leave, doing something now, doing something later, and not doing repetition. But also you can choose tools that, don't, that are meant for your body. So think about the shovel that you're using. And one thing that I've learned is that uh, the type of handle is so important that you have the YD handle, which actually takes and diffracts the impact when you hit that stone that's in inevitable in Connecticut and you send those reverberations up. You're not sending them right to your wrist. It, it, the YD handle, which is like a forked handle, actually sends it away from your wrist. So using that type of handle as opposed to a T handle. T handles are great for tools like um, that, that you might want to take and, and lift things with that sort of tool, but not an impact tool. Now, when we, we were just we were talking about bulbs earlier in the hour, and I've seen those 
bulb planters advertise where you don't have to stoop, right? It's a long handle. Is it worth it, Tova? I don't find they work at all, personally. <laughs> I really just take and I, I use actually the a little tool that they call a dibble. And I, I just plunge that in and put the bulb in that way. That's my way of doing it. Or taking a, something called a, a homie, which is an ancient, ancient tool. And I just, it's, it's like a little mini hand hoe. And I make a hole with that and tuck the bulb in. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Sue's calling back from East Hartford. Sue, are you there now? Yes, I am. I'm right here. Excuse me for the froggy throat. Um, I wanted to tell you that um, I have learned that the uh, squirrels love my tulips because they love the bone meal. Well, oh, that's interesting. Uh, Toba, had you heard that before? I thought that uh, that little critters stay away from, from bone or blood meal. What, what can you tell us? Well, actually, she um, I'm not sure about squirrels, but um, they can actually, I've, I've found that it can sort of attract ants and that sort of thing. So um, I, you know, when in doubt, just skip that part of it. Mm. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677. David has a question from New Haven. David, go ahead. Hi, I'm David Firestone, New Haven. And my question is, do mice or rats ever make make nests in compost piles, especially large, raggedy, unruly compost piles? (laughs) Tova? Um, Well, are you worried about rodents in, in, in compost? Hello? You're worried about rodents in in compost? Repeat the question. She said, are you worried about rodents in your compost? Is that your question? Similar, very similar. Yes, I am worried about rodents making nests in in a compost pile. I don't have one now, but I did for a while. It could be, it definitely could be a problem, especially if you're, you know, putting out any sort of meat products or anything like that in it, which I don't think you should do anyway, but um, it, you, you might want to encase it in some sort of wire or something like that. We heard from uh, Celeste and Granby. She wanted to share when we were talking about Rebecca and aphids. She says they appear when plant is under stress or if tree overgrowth is too much, not enough light. She also suggests for groundhogs that when Leslie called and Glastonbury, dogs roaming the property works. And for my vole problem, if you entice black snakes in the area, no voles. <laughs> Thank you, Celeste, for hitting all those points with us. Tova, did you want to respond? That's wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful solutions. And I love it that you're thinking it through. Um, I, I think that you should harness all the local talent. Yes, well, you're definitely one of them, uh, Toba Martin. Uh, We only have uh, about three minutes left in the show, but when we think about uh, the season ahead, you know, this is Memorial Day is coming up, and after that, um, the vegetable garden really starts to to get um, fuller. I'm wondering if you could leave us with some thoughts uh, as we think about the season ahead. 
Oh, sure. I, it, you know, I guess my real advice is to really get out there. We've talked, many of our callers are talking about problems and issues they've got. But again, when you've finished that battle and, and done all those that hard work, really think about enjoying it to the fullest, getting out there and smelling, touching, feeling, and um, listening to all the, the wildlife that you have attracted and really, really enjoy your garden. Mm. Uh, you mentioned in your book that gardening is a very personal relationship. And so you have seen the relationship with your gardens changing, Tova. Yes, it, it changes through the seasons. And that's another important part of it to really think about uh, uh, winter is often forgotten at the forgotten season. Enjoy it. Enjoy. Look out and look at the skeleton of your garden and look at the way the land rolls and enjoy it. Mm. Uh, you're also a big fan of house plans, And so we don't want to um, neglect the fact that while we spend so much time thinking about our outdoor spaces, it's important to also liven up our indoor spaces. Is a particular house plant that you'd like to recommend to our listeners to, to, to purchase? Well, you, any house plant that makes you really happy, that you enjoy, it's a very personal thing because you are inviting that pl plant into your life and your family, and it will become a family member. Personally, I love crotons because they're so colorful. And, you know, it's not only about blossoms, it's about uh, the foliage color. African violets are great. I know they're old fashioned, but for they're popular for a reason. So all those things will really brighten your life and they'll become like family members. Mm -hmm. And I love uh, begonias. I know I've purchased a few through Logies, which I know that you had a relationship with. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you still do, but Logies in the quiet corner, a wonderful place uh, to, to purchase plants. To... It really is. It's like a, a visit to the jungle, especially in the middle of the winter, to go into Logies and be surrounded by, talk about being surrounded. You feel like you're in a safari right here in Connecticut. Well, Tova Martin, what a pleasure to have you on the show. I'd love to have you back and maybe I could uh, get a tour of Furthermore sometime. Absolutely. And absolutely, I would love to be on the show again. I'm so grateful to be invited. That's Tova Martin again, a horticulturist and author of several books, including The Garden in Every Sense and Season. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, today's show produced by Tess Terrible. Have a great weekend.